Welcome to another Language of Innovation podcast. Today, we interview the Deputy Military Secretary, Brigadier Claire Phillips. As Deputy Military Secretary, Brigadier Claire is responsible for running the Army Personnel Centre. We talk about her role running the Army's HR department, how her organisation is embracing change, and the Atherton Report. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Head to waverin.com or follow us on social media for more of our content. We're going to start with the same question that we ask all of our guests. Defence is a is a wash with buzzwords. If you had to advocate for one buzzword, what would it be and why? I had to think long and hard about pick the one buzzword. So if there was a thing that I dislike, it's buzzwords. But I landed on fairness. And I think I would consider that to be really for everything that we do in the Army Personnel Centre, but that we do across the Army. So in terms of our desire to create diverse workforce, in terms of the processes and policies we have in place, in terms of the role that the army plays in society and across the world, I think what we're trying to achieve is a society that works for everybody, that supports democracy and achieves fairness. So that's where I landed. What did you eliminate on route to that? All of the words that I banned when I was on ICSC, so any of the wrapped around the axle things and anything that people say when they don't actually know what it means. So you're not unpacking anything, not working across the bit. There's no long-handed screwdrivers, none of them. You run the Army Personnel Centre on behalf of NETS. What does that look like day to day? So I've been in the job for eight months and it has been a fascinating eight months. I think I would reflect on the, the pace of activity and that's business as usual, routine, the, the drumbeat of activity that means on any particular day we will be conducting a form of boarding activity, whether that's a promotion board or a grading board or an appointments board or conversion board or whatever other thing it might be that we're doing, all of which is focused on delivering the right output for the service personnel across your officers and soldiers, regular and reserve. And so if I look at the last two weeks, we've conducted four-day appointment board for Lieutenant Colonels. We just conducted today a two-hour webinar, with, which we've called our APC Ambassador Webinar. So we're trying to reconnect with people who've previously worked in our personnel centre to ask for their support in communicating all of the change and the policy that's, that's happening at the moment. Tomorrow, we'll brief the commanding officer's designate course. Tuesday, we had a senior leadership team away day looking at the future organisational design of the Army Personnel Centre. And on Monday, I met with the software developers that are developing the career management portal. And it's, so it's an incredibly varied role. And I think it reflects the myriad of activities that happen in the career management space, but both, both in the Army Personnel Centre across the widest approach to career management. So you know, I am really clear that the Army Personnel Centre is but one part of the Army's career management system. We are supported every day by RCMOs, adjutants, the chain of command, MS reps, all of whom play a critical part in enabling the army to provide career management to our officers and soldiers. That running the army's human resource center can on occasion feel a bit like being in a boxing match. Some days you win, some days you lose, but the important thing is that you keep going because the goal at the end is to provide the army's people with the careers that they aspire to and that they deserve. And that's, that's a challenge because what might aspire to might not be what they are best suited to. It might be that they could be really good at it. And unfortunately there's going to be somebody who's a little bit better. Uh, and I think that's where the tension always comes in that for as long as the army is an organization that provides long careers and we want to enable people to have fulfilling careers over that really long period, 
there is a tension between meeting, enable everybody to have absolutely the career they want. But I'm really clear that there's 720 people working in the personnel centre, military and civilian. And I know that every single one of those people gets out of bed every morning to come and do the best job that they can do for our people. APC gets a bashing for the memes on the internet and that sort of thing. Why do you think that's it? I've thought long and hard about it and I, I kind of conclude it's just a human reaction. So I think it is really, really human for each one of us to see the world through our own lens. Each individual in the army has their own preferences. They have their own preferences of geography, of type of role, of type of unit, of what they aspire for in their career. And that, that then plays out to say, well, for the people that want to be in London, for example, there will often be more people than there are jobs. For the jobs that are overseas and sometimes overseas in operations, there are too few people to go to all those jobs. But all of those roles need somebody because that's, you know, that's the army structure and that's what, that's the job that DCGS asked me to do, which is to put the right people in the right jobs at the right time. And we address that by seeking to generate strong competition for jobs. So we will usually run three people for every job at an appointment. And we will usually run three people for every promotion opportunity to promotion. Of course, that means that some of those people are disappointed. They will still get a job, but it might not be the, their first choice job. It might even be a job that they desperately don't want to go to, but that they have the knowledge, skills, experience, and behaviors to be really good at. And the army needs them to go and be really good at it. And so if we accept, we operate in an environment where we want to generate competition for jobs and for promotions, because that's how the army can be best sustained with the right talent. Therefore, there will be some people who are very pleased with the outcome of a process and some people who are really disappointed. Somebody told me years ago that if you get good news, if you get good service, you tell three people. If you get bad service, you tell 10. Well, that means that for every person who gets good news, they tell three people. They kind of nice and quietly go, yay. But we're all humble people and we probably go home and we tell our <laughs> husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends that, that we did all right today. But it's not something that we stick all over Twitter and Facebook. However, when somebody gets disappointing news, they tell 10 people and that plays out now in social media. And sometimes people choose to express their frustration with the outcome of, of social media, which I, I, I accept. Well, I think the thing that then goes with that, and this is a more recent insight somebody gave me, was that if you feel you've got a bad outcome, it takes somewhere between four and 40, four zero good outcomes to overcome a bad outcome, which is really difficult because I, you know, I'm doing the thing that the army wants, which is to generate competition for post promotion that will generate some people who are disappointed. And I think the way that, therefore, I understand why sometimes the army personnel center is on the receiving end of people's disappointment. I think what can I do about it and what am I trying to do about it is to be more deliberate in our communication. So I think in the past we had hoped or assumed that existing policy documents would be that people would be engaging in their careers as much as they were engaging in other parts of their lives. And I think what I have come to realise over the, this is the fourth time I've worked in the Army Personnel Centre over that time, is that although I am immersed in career management, people outside of the Army Personnel Centre very humanly might not be. And so what we, the APC, can do about it is focus really heavily on providing more appropriate comms to help people understand where they are in their careers, where, what the next opportunity is for them, how that opportunity works so that they can be best prepared for it and best engage in whatever that is, whether it's a promotion board or a points board or, or similar. We're doing that now in a better way. There's more to come, but we're doing that now in a better way. So we now run a, a monthly webinar with RCMOs, adjutants, and we are, we will launch in May six monthly engagements with commanding officers 
Today was the first of our six monthly engagement with APC ambassadors. We're running posting preference performer webinars ahead of appointments boards at the moment in the officer space, but that will continue to flow down in, into all of our career management activity. And we're running free board webinars to help people understand the process that they're about to go through. I think on the, almost, I can't, it's no good me putting really detailed policy on a notice board somewhere where the light bulb is blown, the door is locked, it's in the basement and nobody goes in the building. So it's, it's policies there, but I can't, it's not reasonable of me to expect that someone's going to read it. So let me take the policy to the people, target, target it at those people who need it right now, help people understand the process, help people participate to their own satisfaction. I cannot stop people from being disappointed because it will always be the case that some people don't select for promotion, that some people don't get the jobs that they're hoping for. So I can't stop disappointment, but I hope by generating understanding, I can moderate some of the frustration. You talk about improving the skills of the chain of command when it becomes to career management, because they have, they do have a large part to play and lots of people probably will never actually engage directly with APC. One of the things we are considering is how, how the Army Personnel Centre can deliver deeper and broader career management. Because we recognise that there are decent sized chunks of the army that, as you say, have very little engagement with the army personnel centre. So I would use as an example, the distributed career management model, which sees infantry, Royal Armoured Corps and Royal Artillery provide career management to their more junior soldiers and to an extent their more junior officers in a way that is managed at a battalion or regimental level. And I don't know yet what that looks like in the future, but perhaps there is something we can do that would provide visibility and transparency to those processes as I hope we're provided elsewhere for the army. The transparency is key. It helps people understand why they perhaps weren't selected for what it is that they wanted to do. I, I agree. I think so fairness and transparency. One of the challenges we've got is that I will, I will give you information about your career. What I won't do is give you information about somebody else's career. And part of an answer to many questions is why didn't I get this job? because somebody else did. Well, why were they better than me? I'm not going to have that conversation with you because that's their business. But I can tell you that five experienced people who are board members drawn from across the army made that decision based on your appraisal reports, the job spec and the posted preference performer. There is a very natural and very human desire for more information. Tell me what more I needed to do. Difficult to provide because some of the outcomes are quite binary. There were seven people ran for this job. The board members read the appraisal reports for all seven people and all five board members identified person number three as their recommended selection. That's enough. There's a selection I, I can't give you any more other than it, it wasn't you. I wonder sometimes if we compare the we're able to provide with the feedback that I imagine civilian organisations are able to provide, where I think, and it won't be everywhere, of course, but I think some civilian organisations will simply say, thanks for no, or even less. I think at least the way we are conducting business and will continue to evolve how we conduct business, we're seeking to provide as, as good feedback as we possibly can to, to achieve that transparency that you mentioned. Do you think interview for more jobs than we currently do? It's a very topical question. Chief of the General Staff recently asked the Military Secretary to look at exactly that question. We have concluded that the evidence base available at an interview is as is more likely to incur a form of bias. The evidence base that's available through appraisal reports that look at the last three, four, five years of somebody's performance, where every appraisal report is generated from a normally 12-month period where the subject has been engaging with their O and their 2RO over that period to develop a detailed understanding of that person, their performance and their... So 
we have looked in the last two months at interviewing. Uh, and at the moment, the direction of travel is that we will not increase the pool of jobs for which interviews are conducted to make sure that we maintain transparency uh, and the independence of the selection for jobs that we think is the model we should follow. It's been quite interesting up to RAF and Royal Navy counterparts over the last six months, and they have quite a different approach. So they're quite, they're quite surprised by our boarding approach to appointing and to a much higher rank, they appoint, they are appointed by their desk officer, by their career manager. So a single individual making decisions about a range of soldiers and officers up to quite a high rank, they are very comfortable with, but which feels to me to be at risk of being hugely subjective and very personality driven. The Army Personnel Centre may not seem like the natural organisation to go to for this podcast series, but it is undergoing an awful lot of change. This is both due to the structures changing in the Army, but also the internal practice in APs in the Army Personnel Centre. Do you think you could sum up the challenges that the Kentigan House is currently facing? So I think we've been on the most remarkable journey over the last 30 months. So two and a half years ago, so pre-COVID, given that everything in now is defined by, is it pre or post-COVID, we launched the APC Career Management Continuous Improvement Programme, the aim of which was to look at a number of the key processes and and activities delivered in the APC to see what we could, how we could develop them and take them forward. One of the aspects of the Career Continuous Improvement Programme was to look at digitisation. Where we were pre-COVID was we took a digital product, the appraiser of Board JPA, we went from digital to analogue because we hit print on the printer. We went from analogue to print stick and we stuck and pasted appraisal reports into appraisal books. And when we wanted to conduct a promotion board, we filled up trolleys full of hard copy appraisal reports and pushed them around Kentucky House. And each board member would then read a physical hard copy of each service person's story of appraisal reports to, to come to a conclusion about great. So that's where we were. We're now 24 months on from the start of COVID. And since the 23rd of March, 2020, we haven't printed a single appraisal report. Firstly, that was driven very clear direction from the first minister in Scotland to work from home, which removed our access to those very hard copies and those printers that we would have needed to continue working that way. And so that drove us to, to change processes. We had to move to an ad hoc mechanism for conducting boarding, which was horribly painful, but it worked. So although we had to put a pause into our activity for about two and a half, three months, some people might remember the, the joy of the assignment freeze and the, probably be the bane of my life forever. But after that, we were able to start again all our boarding activity, uh, do a regain and get us back in the fight. We now have a digital tool, the Career Management Portal, which extracts primarily but not exclusively appraisal reports from a thing called the Army Data Warehouse, which pulls those appraisal reports straight from JPA. So that gives us a, a live feed of career information directly into our digital tool that we can use now for promotion boards. And we have used for all promotion boards since mid 2020. The next step is to roll CM portal appointing into captains, majors, lieutenant colonels and beyond staff appointing that we're on the precipice of being able to do that. And that's a fabulous product that's been developed in tandem between the APC and Program Castle. And it provides now the Army Personnel Centre and our boarding activity with current live information. What it also provides now is puts career information into the hands of the user. So regardless of where our service personnel are, soldier or officer, regular or reserve, through an app on my phone, I can now view my appraisal reports. And I suppose I would compare it to the My series in terms of my leave and my pay and so on. Um, this, is, this is my career. 
So CM portal on your mobile phone. At the moment, we're at a minimum viable product. So I can see my appraisal reports. I can see the, the basic building blocks of my career. What's my rank? What's my tr trade? What's my seniority date? I can also view all of the jobs in the army and I can favorite the jobs that I'm particularly interested in either at my current rank or my future rank or if I'm particularly ambitious at any rank in the army will help then that will be one of our key tools that rolls those our service personnel's preferences into appointment boards for the future which is one of the reasons we've moved to the common operating model for soldier appointing so we can wrap all of those those benefits up so the challenge that we face has been one of modernization I think really sensible and reasonable question to ask would be it was 2020 when covid happened we've had we've had we've had computers for a while yeah yeah i, I think i think business as usual is you know going back to your first question about what does it feel like to run the army's human resource center it's it's quite busy and i think in the past our focus on absolutely maintaining our battle with them absolutely sticking to the really detailed timelines for all of those activities significantly hampered our ability to, to, to lift our heads and to look over business as usual. COVID gave us the forcing function that said there is, there is no, there's no way back. People talk about a burning platform. The analogy I've been using is I, I feel like we're on a burning footpath. Then every step I take forward, I, I know that I can't, I can't step back because it's gone. And I also know a bit, a bit like when you see the, you know, the bombs in the cartoons, when the, when the fuse is burning and getting really quickly, the footpath is also catching me up. Next steps then are to look at all of the other things that the Army Personnel Centre does that historically have been paper-based processes. Boarding school allowance form existing in five different spaces on SharePoint where the, the service person saves theirs and sends it to their career manager who saves theirs and updates it and sends it back to the person's commanding officer who saves it and sends it onto the pack or just as an example. Where we're going to is a process that makes the most of Office 365 makes the most of power apps that enables us to workflow those activities that provides a prompt to the person that, to, to, to do whatever they need to do with the process that will enable ourselves to be lifted from out of the manual, time-consuming, inefficient processes to do better things and to spend more time talking with and engaging with our service personnel whilst we deliver that career management. But yeah, you think the cumulative time saves just by CM Portal? down the entire army from all the boards, not just the ones run here, but if it's if seeing portals used in regiments and battalions, it means there's, there's not clerks everywhere printing books. Yep. And, and the, the conceptual change that goes with that. So the Remy Reserve has three Remy Reserve. And as I imagine for most all reserve units and those units where we have the delegated career management model, so an infantry battalion, those Remy Reserve battalions each would run a promotion. So each year they would each run a Staff Sergeants W2. We approached Colonel Reeve Reserves and said, could we do this a bit differently? What if that promotion board graded all Reeve Reserve Staff Sergeants? What if the outcome of that board was then sliced up and given back to each battalion with your Staff Sergeants in it? What if that then gave you as Colonel Reeve Reserves an understanding of the various levels of merit uh, across each of your three Reeve Reserve battalions? What if that meant you could have a board membership thing that was demonstrably indent of your battalion chain of command. What do you think? Uh, and they, they agreed and we've hosted it on CM Portal. They ran one board, not three. They had the same board membership grading across all three reserve battalions. Orders of merit were then provided back to each reserve battalion and it worked and it worked really well. And one of the consequences was the increased accuracy of data on, because for as long as we had continued to print out an appraisal report, 
if it turns out that when you are calculating who should run to a board or not, and you realize there's a mistake on JPA, if you want to fix it, you just take a book, a book, an AR book out where you put an AR book in. It doesn't force you to fix the source of the problem, which is actually to change the data. If you want to do that on CM portal, you fix the data. And so what that, if you extrapolate that process further, it means we can lift reserve delegated career management units out of their embedded processes that said, I've got to conduct the board in my unit because that's where the appraisal reports are. And conceptually, we couldn't even kind of see over that wall. And then the data gets better because people will want to make sure they're eligible for the boards that they should run to. And then the, the army will be able to much, to much greater level, be able to understand its workforce because the data will be so much better. The challenge is doing all of those things and delivering business as usual. And sometimes it does feel a bit like pushing a really big boulder up a hill, but with every step of the progress that we land, that, that hill gets a bit less steep and eventually we'll be over the top of the hill. You've talked a fair amount about COVID more. That's changed the way that people work in the building. What's that been like managing new ways of working, managing civilians and military personnel working in COVID conditions and under those restrictions? I think my first observation would be how much we understand about each other is because we have and I think we've, I hope, I hope for society, this is true, but it would seem to me within our organization, it's true. I think we have become kinder to each other because the reality of family life and working from home and trying to teach kids and dogs and post Amazon delivery people and everything else, it, I think it humanized us as individuals and as a collective. I think it generated much greater tolerance and understanding for each person in the Army Personnel Centre. And I, I hopeful that what that does for us as an organisation is, and it might seem perverse given that we spend a lot of time not seeing each other, but that perversely it binds us more closely together. You know, a lot of people have spent quite a lot of time staring at my bookcase in our spare bedroom. There's just something quite human about seeing somebody's life from a different perspective. I am immensely grateful to our staff for delivering genuinely remarkable things from a sofa from the end of a bed, perhaps from a desk, perhaps in a third floor tenement flat with three kids, perhaps whilst trying to teach those kids as well, whilst worrying about frail and elderly friends and parents. I think that the fact that, the fact that our staff did that and did it under such pressure is a testament to their commitment. And I mentioned earlier, you know, everyone in the organisation gets out in bed in the morning to do the right thing for our people. And I couldn't be prouder of what people achieve, particularly, but not exclusively, particularly in that first lockdown. You know, whoever we went into lockdown, we had 35 laptops and a paper-based system. And all, as I mentioned, although we had to take a pause, um, we then got back on the horse and, and people delivered it. And so that journey that we've been on, I think, stands us in really good stead for delivering whatever comes next. So we now have Smarter Ways of Working Charter, where we focus on people, technology, and leadership. Leadership is the heart of all of that, that will see us, see all of our people having the opportunity to work flexibly, focused on the needs of our organisation, which is to providing career management to the army, but also having the opportunity to do the things that are right for them as individuals. And that's a really, really good thing. And that's generating a level of flexibility that I think we couldn't even have anticipated pre-COVID because this could never have happened. It wasn't something that anyone could imagine that this is how we would work. Yet we are, yet we do. And we've become entirely comfortable conducting activity virtually. And what's brilliant is now very nearly two years of almost exclusively, exclusively being told to work from home if you can by the first minister. We're edging towards what I think will become our new normal. I think our new normal will take the next four or five months to play out. 
through the spring and through the summer. I anticipate then by, let's say, August, we'll each have found our balance when to be in Kentigan House and what to do that is best delivered when we are collectively present in work. And I think that gives us freedoms for everything else. That gives us freedoms to go back to delivering the, the unit roadshows and the, the, the regional roadshows that we used to do, all of those engagements. And of course, now we're so more prepared to do that with some people present in person, some people attending, that actually our engagement will increase because we're comfortable with that. And I think it, it's been the most fascinating two years of trying to understand changes that I hadn't ever anticipated we'd be dealing with. Many would agree that 2021 was a bad year. We had the withdrawal from Afghanistan. That's had a significant impact on many of our people. We also had the release of the Afferton report, which I'd say arguably has as much deeper implications for the army. What's your view on the report and what do you think APC needs to do about the report? So if I, if I start with the report itself, I know, I know people will have, will have read it in, in varying amounts, so I won't go into the detail of it, but I suppose first and, first and foremost, the report is pretty shocking. The report demonstrates not a, some fundamentally terrible behaviours some time ago, but also the continuation of some of those terrible behaviours now. I think we, we saw that then replayed to us at the beginning of the teamwork day, where we heard people tell a story that probably, much like others, would have you somewhere between be reasonably violent to the perpetrator, be sick in the corner or just cry. And, and to think that such things can happen in the organisation that I am so proud to represent horrifies me. So I think in terms of the Atherton report, I think it is our army burning footpath. We we cannot, I think, I think we are at a place now where if, if this amount of momentum and this amount of interest cannot generate change, then we'll have failed and that, that can't be okay. So, so it feels to me that we have a, a burning footpath that says we must, you must do better. I would reflect as well on the journey that the army's been. So I'm coming up to the end of my 27th year of service, I think. So I commissioned 96. And it was only some years later that I realised that the WRAC was only disbanded in, in 1990. And when I arrived to my first unit as a second, and there was an element of resistance to there being a female officer at the unit, it seemed quite strange to me because what's, what's your problem? It was only later that I realised it, it had, you know, it only, it had only been five years since people stopped wearing WRAC cap badges and started wearing all of the other cap badges in the army. Five years is not a long time. But then when I fast forward 27 years to now, Women can serve in every part of the army, where we have women representing at almost every rank and trade. And when we consider that the start point wasn't just 1990 and WRAC, if we go a bit back a bit further, you know, it, it used to be the case that if a woman got married, they had to leave the army. After that, it was the case if you got married, you could stay, but if you got pregnant, you had to. You know, those things are, are within the serving lifetimes of, of some of our people. So it is absolutely right and it is absolutely necessary that the Atherton report is taken as seriously as you can take something. And it is absolutely necessary that we relentlessly focus on improving the lived experience for all. I would also reflect on the really positive journey that the army has been on over the last however many years in my service in 27 years. I remember turning up to a job as a junior captain and the people who were working for you were all, all blokes. And for the first week, nobody spoke to me. I was trying to work out why, why would nobody, why would nobody speak to me? And then I asked a colleague, well, they've not worked for a woman before. Okay, fine. So we went for a run and I started at the front and I finished at the front and, and then they spoke to me. And at the time I thought, well, that's all right then, it's fixed. And it's only more recently that I kind of reflected and thought, well, what if I hadn't started at the front? What if I hadn't 
finished at the front. Would, would they just not have spoken to me for two years? Why would it be that the thing that mattered to them most was was my fitness? It also should have mattered that I was a good leader. It also should have mattered that I was militarily capable because it was a military course we were delivering. So when I think about the challenge that I think the army has, and this is a very this is a personal view rather than anything else, I think we need to think long and hard about what it is as an organisation that we believe and therefore what it is that we value. Because I think that we would, as an organisation and as individuals, we will protect the things that we value. And I would observe that both in our policies and, and in our attitudes, one of the things that we place a great deal of value in is physical fitness. And that is good and that is necessary. But it is only one part of the talent that each individual brings. And I think in the past, as a woman in the army, I have observed that if a woman's at the front on a run, she's all right. If the woman's at the back on the run, she's not. There's no part in that judgment that takes into account her competence and her skill set at work and her ability to deliver the outputs that the army needs of it. So I think that the 21st century army, our biggest challenge is to value every part of our workforce for what that part of the workforce brings to the office every day. I think that applies to gender. I think that applies to cat badge. I think it applies to everything in the army that makes me different to you and everything that makes me the same as you because we're sat here in the same uniform serving the same government and serving the same quite remarkable principle. And if, if we celebrate what makes us the same and we celebrate what makes us different and value what makes us different, then I think we'll protect it. I think that requires a fundamental change in our belief system that says we believe that what is important is the whole of the person that comes to work. Because if I genuinely believe that, then I will protect every part of the workforce. And there will always, unfortunately, there will be people behave in a terrible way. But if we value every part of the workforce, then when I see somebody behaving in that terrible way, I will do something about it. And if I will do something about it, then I will stop it and I will help that person. So I, th I think Atherton Report is our burning footpath and we have to be absolutely deliberate in now saying it's and my, my take is it's about changing our belief system and making sure we value every part of the workforce for what it brings to the office. I wanted to go back actually and talk a little bit more about your experience, if you, yes. if you don't mind, because yeah, when you joined, there weren't any, as far as we could figure, there weren't any, any yeah. female brigadiers. So what's that, what's that like, joining an organisation without any role models that look like you? I think at the time, I didn't know they were there. So it, it didn't feel odd because it just was as it was. There, I think the difference though is, is self-belief and is, as you say, Frosty, seeing people who look a bit like you is such a powerful tool to help you believe that you can do that too. And now that we have women represented at, at almost all ranks in the army, I'm, I am really conscious that that provides our more junior female soldiers and female officers with the opportunity to know, perhaps, perhaps as much as I didn't question the absence of those women, they don't question the presence of those women. And, you know, if they look now and they say, it's just some woman who's a brigadier, that's, that's a win. You know, if, if that's as normal as it can be, mm. why would it ever be different? Then that is, that is such an achievement. I was at the, the Army People Conference down in Aldershot last year and chatting to a colleague. Uh, it was also late Remy and she and I were young officers together. And we've just been a gas and a catch-up. But two women who were majors came over and said, we've never seen two female brigadiers in the same room before. And we just wanted to say that it, it looks awesome. Which neither of us had really thought about because we're just doing what we do. But then to understand what an impact that can have by the presence of somebody who looks a bit having 
been successful. I don't think you can, it's not, there's not money that can buy that in terms of the mental, the mental windows and doors that opens in somebody's mind to say, I think I think I can do that. So I, th- I just think it's really exciting. That when you talk to people who've joined more recently, which clearly is most people, you know, that their, their perspective, equity of opportunity, work hard, be successful. Why wouldn't I do that? And that's brilliant. Yeah. Right, Mom. Here, I have one silver bullet. There's one thing you could change at process. You could remove some red tape. You could change the way we do a thing in the army. What would you change? So I'd like to relate it to my current role. And it's not some thing that I would change. It's an attitude that I would change. So the attitude I would change would be to ask for people to deal in facts rather than dealing in myths and opinions. I read somewhere years ago that the greatest cause of dissatisfaction is the perception of inequality. And going back to your question earlier about memes and social media, I that many people feel dissatisfied in their careers because they perceive themselves to have been treated in a different way to somebody else. I appreciate that I am in a privileged position of seeing the way in which the APC does business from the inside out. And we won't always get it right because no organisation does. But we have a level of rigour in our processes that almost all of the time people are dealt with in, a, in an equitable fashion. I can't say all the time because I know we will make mistakes. So that, so therefore, if I, if I know that the process is, is fair, then yet people perceive them to be, have been dealt, perceive themselves to be, have been dealt with, with a level of inequality. Why is that? I think it's because talk to each other, they decide for themselves what, what must have happened for this occurrence to, to have taken place instead of actually finding out process or the policy their eligibility for the thing and, and talking to us. And so my, the thing I would change would be to ask for people to, to deal in facts. My part of that deal is to, the APC is here to help. We want to talk to you. We want to understand your frustrations. We want to understand what it is you don't understand so that we can better communicate it. So one of the things I ask all APC members of staff as they leave is to be my, to be my eyes and ears. First and foremost, to tell me what isn't what isn't being understood. What questions are they being asked as four members of the Army Personnel Centre that that surprise them? You know, but I don't know that, so that they can let me know, so that I can go after that information and do whatever I need to do to better communicate it to people, to support them in dealing with facts and not in myths. So I'm very clear that I have a role to play in achieving that. But that would be my ask. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed that why not head to waverroom.com where you can check out our articles, blogs and book reviews.